welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. Before we start, I'd like to thank all of our current patrons for helping to support the collective. Obscura, a true crime podcast. Cara Demisio, Brandon Schneider, John, Strictly Homicide podcast podcast jewels a murderific podcast and land shark thank you guys so much for your support and help helping keep this going and thank you to all the listeners i know you support through listening and some of us can't always support monetarily but patrons know it's much appreciated and there i think will be double podcast episodes this month as i catch up and maybe Work on getting some additional surprises in there. Hey, listeners. We're back again with Maxwell. He's in Australia. I'm in Ohio. The internet is strangely better than any other time we've ever recorded when we were on the same continent. I know. Uh, I know. It's crazy. It's because my laptop hates Wi-Fi. That's my goal is eventually to get a new one. But yeah. How's Australia? I know last time we talked for the Trove, you were excited about Halloween or the lack of Halloween in Australia. And pumpkin spice things. Oh, yeah. I wonder if we should tell that on... I mean, we could do both. But Halloween was insane because there. I had a video conference which is related to Relic, but I don't want to talk about because it's something that could be potentially big. So that's a little <gasps> sizzle. But at the time that was happening, I was like, okay, there's going to be maybe one or two trick-or-treaters who show up. So it turns out in Australia, yeah. if you decorate your... Like, even in the most minute halloween decor decorate your door outside area that's like moses painting the house red for passover (laughs) but the opposite putting the red over the door (laughs) because that's like when people do show up uh and i was like wave after wave of trick-or-treaters and i had to like run out and get more candy at one point like it was insane and they were all so polite and adorable and um, anyone on Twitter who is saying Aust- uh, Halloween is un-Australian can go fuck themselves because many happy Australian children showed up and got candy. And um, if you want to talk about cultural imperialism, pick a bone with something else than a fairly innocent holiday that makes children happy in a really miserable world and is a cultural exchange. There. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Ohio had like one of the coldest ones in recent memory, I guess. I helped a friend move, so I didn't really get to do a lot. But I just remember like we were doing stuff and we go out and I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's so freaking cold. I should have grabbed a coat. Like my work closed down early because no one was one. No one goes to a bar on Halloween, like just where it was, wasn't popular. But like watching all the children just made me feel so bad because it was I think I turned my heat on. Like, that's how cold it got. Like, it kicked on. I was like, oh, it sounded were like a ghost. In, and I promise we'll get back on track in a moment. But were you... Because yeah. uh, you're telling me that reminds me of... Were you in Massachusetts? I feel like, were you ever in Massachusetts? Didn't you study in Massachusetts or am I high? No, Great. I was in Massachusetts. No. Oh, last time we talked, I had the interview. No, no, no. I'm saying... That di- oh, yes, at... Um, Plymouth. Yeah. Plymouth. No. Yeah, that's it. That didn't in go 2000, through. Yes, and I'm sorry about that. In 2011, <laughs> there was in Massachusetts a Halloween blizzard. <laughs> that sounds like something that would have happened in like my hometown in Cleveland. So there was a Halloween Legitimate. blizzard and my 
housemate at the time had, did this amazing outfit and it was her first time doing body paint so she was a venetian doll that was cracked oh and it was God, gorgeous amazing. yeah katie she's she's already gorgeous but like this was just like her the outfit and so there was a lot of body paint involved and so like that day our friend ben had come over and had painted her sounds really sketch mm-hmm. uh just kind of like porcelain white and like did kind of like a cracked yeah. thing with it so it looked like she was like cracked in places uh-huh. it was really cool well the blizzard rolls around so we're stuck in the house not showcasing this amazing outfit of hers and then the power goes out and it turns out it's like the oh, worst no. it's like the worst blizzard in like the amherst area holyoke era area of mass western mass in like years yeah. and so like people have to seek shelter and of course, we're the five college consortium. So there's different like, you know, UMass is like has yeah. beds going up where they're sending all the kids and like Hampshire is doing its own thing. And I was a Hampshire kid living yeah. with UMass kids off campus in the Sunderland apartments. So kind of just like right outside of the main town of Amherst. Yeah, it's, it was right next door to Yankee Candle flagship store. <laughs> just to paint a picture. Really pretty, beautiful cliffs for hiking. Well, oh, everything is covered in snow and there's no running water. So my housemate Katie was stuck as a Venetian doll for three days in body paint because we just could no. not couldn't access water. It was terrible. And she said that after she had gotten it off, she said her skin never felt more exfoliated. Like it was so smooth. So <laughs> oh my god, it's gonna be so. Crazy. It was just yeah. insane, and that's that's just what I think of is that the 2011 Halloween blizzard. Uh it's been a decade. Oh my god, it's almost been a decade. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, let's shift gears back to something sad. <laughs> let's. So listeners, when I picked this person many many moons ago, I did not realize this is the Doctor Death. Yes. That Dr. Death of the famed Wondery podcast, gentlemen. So because it's only an hour and Maxwell is not going to be here for 20, I don't know how many episodes they did. A lot of episodes. And I did not have time to do their level of research. This is going to be an overview. So accept that for what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Just just accept it for what it is. But we're going to start with um, a good excerpt from the Hippocratic Oath because, you know, doctors. I will prescribe regimen for the good of patients, my patients, according to my ability and my judgment and never do harm to anyone. To please no one will I prescribe a deadly drug nor give advice which may cause his death, end quote. So let's just have that percolating in the back of our minds. So we're talking about Michael Swango. He was born in Tacoma, Washington, but was raised in Quincy, Illinois. He was the middle child of Muriel and John Virgil Swango. Great names all around. So his father, John, was a U.S. military officer who served in Vietnam and actually was listed in the who's who in the government 1972 to 73. Okay. Such esteemed rank. Such a, I didn't know he did that, and I enjoy it. Also probably an alcoholic it, when his father returns from vietnam he was depressed and then soon le- soon after divorced by muriel probably best in that case so this results in swango uh michael seeing little of his father and was much closer to his mother he became valedictorian of the 1972 class of quincy catholic boys high school 
and currently that's the Quincy Notre Dame High School. He played clarinet. He was a member of the band. He was raised a Presbyterian, even though he attended a Catholic school. Then he goes into the Marine Corps, receiving an honorable discharge in 1980. He moves then to Quincy College, which is currently Quincy University. There's a lot of Quincy's yeah, happening. Yeah, I noticed that. Quick question. Why was he discharged? Um, I believe he, it just was, I think it was a health issue or something. Like he just, like he went, made it through basic, almost made it through basic. And something came up and he was discharged, if I remember correctly from my readings. So he didn't actually like see any combat. He just moved around. He really wanted to be like his father. So he then attends Southern Illinois University for School of Medicine. And this is really where like the red flag mountain is going to start to be built. We're going to be building a mountain of nope, guys. <laughs> Made out of these red flags. He was a brilliant student at Quincy College. He actually graduated summa cum laude. He had won the American Chemical Society Award. But he, like a med- he's a medical resident and he prefers to work as an ambulance attendant rather than study. So you're just like, uh, what? And he really liked watching and had a fascination with dying oh, patients. Oh, no, honey. <laughs> I told you the red flags start. And like most people didn't really notice at the time, many of the patients which he checked on or was assigned to do checkups on because in residency, you would go around and you have to like check on the patients like you follow the doctors and whatnot. There's a lot of like training and teaching you have bedside matter and all this. But his assigned ones, I believe in like his like closer to the end, they noticed that all of his checkups ended up coding or like having almost dying, five of them died. So a month before graduation, his lack lackadaisical approach to studying came up, which is such a great word. He was caught faking checkups during his abstract abstractics. So basically not checking in on like sick patients, like just kind of like BSing the paperwork. Oh, we'll get to what he actually was doing. Yeah, but basically. Um, so it's abstract female gynecology and abstractus. Um, many of his actual like cohort was believing he was faking his checkups as early as his second year so you have i think for like med school like the og one you go four years yeah, right I it's think a, so. you go yeah lost my mom it's a while <laughs> so chief resident dr kathleen o'connor so like you graduate with your medical degree and then you have to go do residency and then you're a doctor like so then you like earn up she discovered he would sneak off to the ambulance service instead of applying himself to more important like checkups and like taking notes she noticed so this is really what happened so she's like watching him and he goes he moves from room to room and he seems to be doing all of his like checkups and patient visits really quickly which is weird you know you gotta talk to the person how do you feel what does anything hurt are you concerned give a medicine yeah Yeah. so he leaves the room of one female patient o'connor checks in on her and learns that he had not examined her at all not even looked at the iv or did a blood pressure reading he did nothing he walked in the room probably said hi asked her how she was and turned around and left So did any of the patients, like, were they in a state where they could have, like, the next person to come in, they could be like, actually, excuse me, what the fuck just happened? And be like, he didn't say anything. He, like, complained. Like, did they complain? Did any patients complain about this? I don't think they did. Did I think he just came in and talked to them. And they thought, oh, that's fine. He must not be concerned because he's a doctor. Yeah. 
you know, and this is like in the 80s. So on top of not doing anything, he completed a report on the woman if he had. He didn't check the, like he didn't even fake check the IV. Like, come on. And like the detail report made the chief resident figure that he was doing either one of two things, faking his findings or plagiarizing them from an earlier report. And as we know, plagiarism is bad, guys. It's bad. You shouldn't be stealing other people's work. The only reason he continued was because one member of his committee voted to give him a second chance and they needed a unanimous vote was required to dismiss a student. So really, one person saved him from being dismissed. But they were all like, is he competent to do any of this? He shouldn't be a doctor. He got to graduate a year after the rest of his class on the condition that he repeated his OBGYN rotation and several assignments and other specialties so they made him do extra work because they're like um we want to make sure like you're going to graduate with our name this is a really prestigious medical school so they wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to fuck it up for Mm -hmm. them and give every like think about if you graduate from a shitty medical school other people are going to know you did that and like when you work with them they're not going to take your work as seriously Mm until you prove yourself so they they're like we don't want to screw everyone else out who graduated with the class so he manages to get a surgical internship at the ohio state university medical center in 1983 sorry i'm that's that's ohio saltiness at ohio state <laughs> in case people are wondering ohio state is trying to trademark like the the and the ohio state university they've tried to trademark other things it's dumb. So he's supposed to have a surgical internship and then followed up by residency in neurosurgery. So that was going to be a specialty. And neurosurgery, I mean, that's some big fucking bucks. Ohio State has a very, very, I think they built a, like a multi-billion dollar medical facility recently. Okay. Like, so they're, they're a good medical school. And so that's like one of the top in the profession. It's supposed to be like focusing on education and attention to professionalism. I think my I, oh, this is bad. I don't know if she went to Ohio State. I think, but she was in Ohio for some time. So I think maybe she maybe she went there. I don't know. She could have gone there, or Case, or some like you see, because like there's some good ones in the state. There's like a period of her life um, that's actually a mystery to my family. So I don't know if that was part of that or not. Anyways, keep going. Okay, so because of like their attention to detail, they only accept the best pre-med grads to this program. Quote, given such competition, it didn't take long for some of Swango's shortcomings to surface. The doctor in charge of transplant surgery who oversaw Swango's work from mid-October till mid-November threatened to fail Swango. He didn't believe he was competent to practice medicine. Um, end quote. And that's by uh, writer James B. Stewart in his book on Swingo. The same doctor also complained that his uh, manner with patients was brisk and indifferent. So you know what you want with a doctor where they're just no like... No bedside manner. No. Imagine... I'm trying to think of a good... Imagine like the worst customer service, but it's your doctor. Oh, no. That's not good. Yeah. On top of it, he was working in the Rhodes Hall wing... When nurses noticed that um, these healthy patients immediately begin dying with mysterious, like mysteriously with frequently. And so they're like, okay, that person shouldn't have died, but they're dead. Like they're like freaking out. Every time that happens, Michael's the only intern on the floor. And one nurse caught him injecting some medicine, air quotes, into a patient who then became strangely ill later on. They, they're reporting to their concerns to administrators, but... In good 80s fashion, it's paranoia. 
it's fun everyone is just sitting so on their hands a- and it's just really frustrating and thinking about it at the time we're gonna go with the sexist approach nurses are probably women mm-hmm. so they're probably like oh it's just paranoia with ladies it's just paranoia it's fine it's fine and they did do a cursory investigation in 84 and he's cleared of it but his work is so poor he's not hired as a resident physician after his internship ends in june which is good in some regards in july 1984 he returns to quincy again not massachusetts illinois and begins working as a medical uh, emergency medical technician with the adams county ambulance corps even though he had been fired from another ambulance service do you want to guess why because he was focusing on the dying patients and not helping them? He made a heart patient um, drive to the hospital. So someone who's having a heart attack? Like he, I, I believe he was like having heart issues and he was like, no, nah, you're fine. Oh, no. And the guy drove to the hospital. Yeah. So they like fired him for that and they're like, it's fine. On top of it, many of the paramedics on staff, so they, began, they work in pairs. Mm-hmm. Notice whenever Swango prepared the coffee or brought any food in, several of them became violently ill for no reason. Oh, no. Was he putting in the coffee? um, I'll get into it. I'm going to go a little deeper. So, again, in October that year, he was arrested in August 23rd, 1985. He's convicted of aggravated battery for poisoning his co-workers. He was sentenced to five years imprisonment. And then, like, people in Ohio State, because, like, Illinois isn't that far. No. We're all Midwestern. And so the like, people in Ohio State are like, Ohio State admitted that they should have uh, taken, like, regretted not taking the nurses' claims further. They, like, because it, it pretty much, it, it keeps coming up. The Columbus Dispatch science reporter David Lord Wright, quote, you, OSU's critics say the university still has not cleared up the mess he, what, that was created when doctors and attorneys at OSU Medical Center gave Swango a pass after bungling their cursory and closed-door investigation. Last month, in the response to ABC News, OSU concluded in a written statement that we should have called in outside police authorities to investigate. Okay. So Franklin County, which is where Columbus is located in, um, Ohio prosecutors also considered bringing charges of murder and attempted murder against Swango, but decided against it for lack of physical evidence. And later on, he would be released from prison and found work as a counselor at the State Career Development Center in Newport News, Virginia. But let's go back um, to Quincy. So what specifically, like, he keeps getting fired for, like, these weird issues. But he his job with um, the ambulance corps, he um, he got the job because he did not talk about his past history. And so they're like, oh, this guy is a doc, like, trained as a doctor. It's perfect. So I mentioned he, like, his, they would, he, they'd get sick after he brought in food. Well, each member of the corps would take turns bringing in treats for the other to share. You know, so, like, it's long hours. Yeah, even brownies stuff yeah and it's kind of nice um they're really popular especially with like the coffee habits mid-september swango brought in uh freshly baked donuts and the four other paramedics on duty are thrilled you know they they're like donuts everyone loves donuts any sort of everyone loves donuts Uh, side note donuts not a breakfast food in australia found that out the hard way i brought in donuts for breakfast and everyone looked at me like i had three heads and was like why are you eating dessert for breakfast and i'm still bitter about it anyways carry on i got made fun of at work let's not get into it (laughs) that's wrong um so over the next hour one by one the entire crew is taken ill with the same symptoms stomach cramps nausea dizziness then vomiting they all have to leave work what does this sound like, true crime friends? 
that he's poisoning them, but I don't know what he's poisoning them with because they're obviously not dying. But Epicac will just no. make you vomit. It's not supposed to make you dizzy. It's just to it's poison control, essentially. So I don't know what he could be giving them that maybe like uh, a pesticide or a rat poison. I think rat poison would kill you. Yeah, it does. So with some of them, you need it in certain doses. Many of the paramedics who were sick realized that Swango had not partaken his own treats. Oh, so it's like, which, why I mean, you eat it? Well, just a feeling. You guys can enjoy, though. Uh, when questioned about later... He answered, quote, of course not. I wouldn't do any like about like whether he like poisoned them. He's like, I wouldn't do anything like that. So the following evening, Swango and a fellow paramedic, Um Singh, were assigned to a routine emergency detail at the local high school football game. You know, in America, it's just standard procedure because sometimes people have a hard hit. You just want it for insurance reasons. Yeah, it's and smart. Safety reasons. Absolutely they smart. There. Yeah. At halftime, Swango said he was thirsty and would like to buy himself and Umsa a Coke. The coworker is like, thanks, I'll hold your seat while he goes off to get two Cokes. Because they're probably not in the truck. They're probably watching the game. After sipping half the cup, Um Singa begins to feel extreme cramping. And where he's like, he has to have Swango drive him home. And he's in bed with a headache, nausea, dizziness for three days. And so he was starting to get really suspicious. No one would uh, take part of any drink or tray of snacks when Swango was about. One afternoon, um, Swango asked anyone if they would care to join him for a soda in the recreation area. A paramedic, Greg Myers, who had wasn't as informed as the rest of the group, was like, oh, yeah, I'll go with you. And he knew like the soda was going to be coming straight from a can of a pop dispenser. So, you know, they go back and Swinga comes back and Myers noticed that the flip top of the can was pulled back because it was op- like Swinga opened it for him, which is weird. Um, he asked him, like, why did you open this? He goes, oh, why not? And so Myers sips it. And within minutes, he's like having stomach pains and all the same symptoms. So did anyone keep, he has to go home. keep the drinks for testing. We'll get to that because this is how he ends up arrested. So, you know, they're like his his coworkers are like hella suspicious about him at this point. And they go to check out his duffel bag that he brings to work. There's a call. So he goes out. They open his locker, retrieve the bag. And inside they found a box of tarot ant poison oh so you're close okay it comprised chiefly of arsenic which ingested is the same symptom. how are they so not it's dead poisoning because it's such a small dose yeah basically okay. so what they like what they did was they set a trap they decided to put a uh, freshly brewed pot of iced tea on the counter when they knew swango would be in there alone and for non-american iced tea is a thing oh don't get <laughs> it's me very started much an american thing well, they've got ice. So they have iced tea like in bottles, like at the like at the store here in Australia. But you don't like usually see it at some cafes. You do. I think it's becoming a thing here. And Australia is yeah. Uh, to just oversimplify, Australia is more like the United States than it is like Britain or like the UK. Yeah. So some of the food we eat is popular or drink is popular in australia but it's not huge yeah. iced tea isn't like a huge thing i think it's only a thing in the u.s really can i do you want me to call up like my, i don't know where my house is but do you want me to call up my like, boyfriend right now and just be like iced tea do you know what that is yeah so the paramedics return and after swango goes out for another call or something like that they pour the tea into a container and washed out the pot like thoroughly they brought the liquid to a local coroner 
Because remember, these are paramedics, so like they tend to transport bodies Wait, as who well. Got suspicious, the paramedics it, who were poisoned? Work with him. Okay. Yeah, worked with Swango. And the local coroner, their friend, sent it to the nearest FBI test uh, lab for testing, and it did come back that he did poison it. They contact the Adams County Sheriff to search Swango's apartment, and they go into this unkept flat. They discover massive vials, bottles, syringes, medical paraphernalia around a book titled The Poor Man's James Bond, and it was a tongue-in-cheek guide of manual weapons and do-it-yourself murder. Who wrote this yeah. and why? It just, I couldn't figure it out. So this is pretty much like they, they confiscated, you know, handguns, knives. They found reci- handwritten recipes for poisons and like chemicals for it. So that's when he was arrested. In 1989, he's released. He works as a counselor for the State uh, Development Center in Newport News, Virginia. And he was forced out after being caught working on a scrapbook of disasters on work time. You know... Make sure it's okay first if it's on work time. They don't like that. So he then goes and works around this time, like late late 80s. He meets Kristen Kinley, a nurse at Riverside Hospital. They fall in love and they plan to marry as soon as they get settled. He was employed until 1991 at the hospital until he resigned to seek out a new position as a doctor. Why wasn't he been arrested for poisoning people? He was arrested the first time. So he goes to jail for five years for the first poisoning. Oh, I missed that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that like... I kind of bounced back and forth, but the reason why he was arrested, those paramedic co-workers were like, I think he's poisoning us. Why didn't us. they take away his doctor's license? <laughs> so ridiculous. Who's to say? And the FBI does question several employees on the occasion after his re- resignation. In 1991, he changes his, he legally changes his name to Daniel J. Adams, and it tries to, um, tries to apply to a residency program in Ohio Valley Medical Center in Wheeling, West Virginia. Didn't get through. But in 92, he begins working at Sanford USD Medical Center in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So you have him like moving around a lot, which most doctors, like most people you know who doc- who are doctors, they move for medical school and then they tend to stay wherever they are. Like everybody I know who's trying to be a doctor doesn't move this much. Yeah, it's suspicious. In both cases, he forges several key legal documents to reestablish himself as a physician and a respectable member of society. So he knows he's what he's doing isn't correct. He even forges a fact sheet from the Illinois Department of Corrections falsificating his criminal record. And he's like, oh, it's a misdemeanor for a fist fight in a co- with a co-worker. And he was in prison for six months, not five years. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, he was actually char- like at five years for felony poisoning because, uh, you know, most states don't grant medical license to a convicted felon because it's completely unprofessional and all of that. He then forges a restoration of civil rights letter from the Virginia governor, Gerald B. Bollies, like saying he gets the right to serve, uh, vote, serve on a jury because like he gets, you know, he has no other crimes. He's like living a he's living his good life. He gets he's earning a sterling reputation in Stanford. But in October, he tried to um, join the American Medical Association. And, you know, they give a fuck just a little bit. And they're they're going through and doing a background check more thorough than the medical center. And they found that mountain you know, of red flags that we've talked about. Okay. On top of it, <laughs> that Thanksgiving Day, Discovery Channel aired an episode of Justice Files, which I've not heard of and I want to find, which included a segment on Michael Swango. So, you know, if you're trying to keep 
like a low profile that didn't help so you know ama reports i think they had a picture so like colleagues are calling oh in. no uh they probably like think about it, you see it and you're like oh my god i know that guy because it's not that much time difference right and the uh stanford medical center fires him kitty then goes back to virginia and she's like still suffering violent migraines like she or, like all the time they're together she's having these bad migraines but she leaves him and the migraines stop so he's poisoning her too like it's just insane so after that the ma temporarily loses track of swango because they're trying to keep track of him because it seems to keep trying to pl- practice medicine everywhere mm-hmm. and they're like like this guy is not good like he's causing so many problems michael manages to find a place in the psychiatric residency program at the state of state university of new york at stony brook uh, school of medicine so that's in stony brook i think that's in upstate new york uh he it's on long island it's on long I think island? so maybe no i don't know oh, okay. i don't know anything don't talk to me <laughs> <laughs> so we're just we don't know where it is it's in new york state and his first rotation is internal medicine at the va medical center in northport new york and again his patients start dying and no one can figure out why like they're healthy people why are they dying only four months after this his uh ex-girlfriend fiance kinney commits suicide so you know it was i think there were some issues between kinney and Michael and her body might have been wrecked from whatever the fuck he was giving her. Her mother, Sharon Cooper, was then horrified to find out about Swango's medical history and that he's allowed to continue practicing. So they didn't know anything about it. She that so the mom just goes all full mama bear. So Cooper goes and gets in touch with a friend of Kinney's, who is also a nurse at Stanford, and she's like, Hey, did you know all this bullshit? And she's like, Say what? <laughs> And so the nurse then alerts Sanford's dean, Robert Talley, about Swango's whereabouts. So then we're going to have a telephone chain. Talley then telephones the dean at Stony Brook, Jordan Cohen. And, you know, they have he's like, OK, let's get to the bottom of this. So they have the head of Stony Brook's psych- psychiatry department, Alan Miller, question Swango. And basically, he admits he lied about the poisoning conviction. That gets him immediately fired. And this also gets uh, Cohen and Miller forced out because of that. Like, but I mean, you try to do the backup checks and sometimes like at that period of time, you don't have that ability to do it as much. So because the Internet's just kind of becoming a thing at this time, right? Yeah, I think it's it's becoming more like it's uh, the online system, I think, is more and it helps people figure out if you're lying or not, because it was a lot easier to lie before your whole life was online. Yes. So but Cohen so the dean of Stony Brook, uh, medical like Stony Brook Medical, or I think he's a dean at Stony Brook. So yeah, like he was like, um, I'm gonna remember what I've learned from the past facilities, and he sent a warning about Swango to all 125 medical schools and all a thousand teaching co- hospitals across the nation. So he's like, not on my watch, motherfucker. Like I've messed up, but I'm not gonna fucking let this motherfucker near anyone else. And this blackballs him and you cannot like you need medical residency to get jobs in medicine. So he can't do that now. And so now the feds get involved. Of course. Because one, he was working at 
the VA a VA facility. So that's federal automatically. It's a medical malpractice on a multi-state level fed. Like the feds are just getting involved. So he basically hides out until about can't find him until about 1994 when the FBI finds him living in Atlanta working as a chemist at a computer department uh, at a computer equipment company's wastewater facility and the FBI is like hey like chemical company you know this guy let's see his application well he lied because he has a felony and you have to report those and so he's immediately terminated they then get a warrant charging him with using fraudulent credentials to gain access entry to a va hospital but by the time they do that swango has fled the country do you want to guess where he goes mexico canada no he went he went to a different continent australia uh no europe no okay well we're running out of continents south america (laughs) he goes to zimbabwe in africa okay so there he gets a job at mirne hospital on his forged documents i just want to know how good are his documents we both talked about forgery there again you know this crazy thing starts happening you want to guess what the crazy people start dropping like flies his patients yeah yeah it took them about a year for the poisonings to be traced back to him and then zimbabwe arrests him he's charged with poisoning and he retains prominent lawyer david colart but he escapes from zimbabwe before his trial date hides in zambia and then about a year and a half later so we're in 97 he applies for a job at the royal hospital in duran saudi arabia using a false resume he's no. just really it's just like a on the run yeah it's a little catch me if you can but sadder catch me if you can it with uh fake doctors and murder yeah so at the same time va OGI criminal investigator Tom Valerie is talking to Charlene Thompson, a forensic psychiatrist, to help him with the case. And they're like trying to figure out like where he is, get a uh, psychological profile of him, and trying to figure out why he committed the crimes. Valerie called DA basic agent Richard Thompson, who was stationed in Manhattan, to discuss the case. And they're like figure out like he's lying on his government application to work like for the Department of Veteran Affairs and, like, where he's prescribing narcotics. Um, and this is, like, they've built enough evidence for Immigration and Naturalization Service agents to arrest him in 97 when he's doing a stopover in O'Hare on his way to Saudi Arabia. So he's going from Namibia. Like, um, that's... I didn't check his planes, but, like, yeah, he ended up in O'Hare and that's... Because he's on U.S. soil, they can snatch him. He's there just so long and they got him. So basically, there's so much evidence. And they're like, he's like, oh, I don't want them to look into Zimbabwe, period. Like that year or so in Zimbabwe. So he pleads guilty to defrauding the government in March 1998. He's sentenced to, in July, he's sentenced to three and a half years in prison. And he, the judge, this I just love this. Sensing judges can have so much fun. He's like, yeah, he's not allowed to prepare or deliver food um, and have any involvement in preparing or distributing drugs. He's like, we're giving this guy no more chances to poison. The government is using these three and a half years to be like, let's get all those crimes, baby. So they um, exhumed bodies of at least three of his patients and found the poison in them. They found evidence he paralyzed baron harris another patient with an injection on top of it they found out he lied on the death of cynthia and mcgee a patient when he he'd been attending while he was at osu he said she had heart failure when he killed her by giving her a potassium injection that stopped the heart so then july 11th 2000 it's about a week before he's sentenced to 
uh, to be released from prison on fraud. Federal prosecutors on Long Island filed criminal charges. So you guess you were right. You Yeah, it was Long Island. Cr- uh, criminal complaint charging Swango with three counts of murder, one count of assault, uh, one count of each false statements, mail fraud. Don't fuck with mail fraud, man. And conspiracy to commit wire fraud. On top of that, Zimbabwean authorities charge him with poisoning seven patients, five who died. He's get, He gets indicted on 17th. He pleads not guilty. How does he get away with like, I'm sorry, sir, sir. You've already gone to prison for poisoning people. You're going to say no, I'm not guilty of all this shit. He's not. It's like he's smart, but he's dumb at the same time. Yeah, he's dumb smart. Yes. Where he's dumb enough to think he's smart. I can relate. <laughs> so, but September 6th, he's like, okay, I'm going to plead guilty to murder and fraud charges. I think he really just didn't want to go to Zimbabwe because they have the death penalty. And Zimbabwe at this time, I believe, is still under... Um, A dictatorship? Yeah, I think it's still Mugabe. I mean, it was it was until rather recently, as I understand it. Yeah, Mu- yeah, it was Mugabe. Yeah, he was from like ninety yeah, years, he's like hundred years of ruling Zimbabwe or something ridiculous like that. Eighty to two thousand seventeen. So yeah, it's still Mugabe. And like, so if Mugabe like is pissed enough and he knows it's gonna please his people, so they're getting the off the back about the um, you know two hundred percent inflation, he'll do it. I think they got up to four hundred percent at one point. Like it was they got bad. ridiculously. It was it was interwar Germany bad. Yeah, where you're just pay like you're you're just paying for things with blocks of money. So he didn't want to go to Zimbabwe. At his sentencing, prosecutors led read passages from his notebooks where he described the joys he felt during his crime. Again, if you do that, don't write it down. That shit can be used against you. He is uh, sentenced to three consecutive life terms. He's currently incarcerated at ADX Florence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, James B. Stewart, who wrote the book Blind Eye, um, estimated, like, counting the suspicious deaths at his first medical school, he could be possible for around 35 deaths. Wow. The FBI believes around 60. Oh, my gosh. Which could, which until um, the new guy came out, Little, the big serial killer who's, like, an international one who's, like, over 100. That would have been the most prolific serial killer in you. Are you kidding history. me? And everyone just, it's just so unfathomable that from day one, people just sat on their hands or looked the other way or just didn't want to deal with it. And it just, there were so many chances that this could have been nipped in the bud and it, it wasn't. It's um the banality of evil. <sighs> you write it down and you think someone else is going to do something. Yep. You're just doing your job. You're just doing your job. Yeah. Um, it was featured on Unsolved Mysteries. Like I said, there's a podcast on it called Dr. Death. There's probably more shows at this point on it. Um, so his, I love this. They were, every someone broke down his, uh, basically his MO. He really, like if it was non-patients, he would use poisons like arsenic, slipping in foods or be- beverages. However, with patients, he occasionally would use poisons as well, but he often did overdoses of the prescribed drug to make it less obvious yeah yeah um or wrote false prescriptions for dangerous drugs for patients who did not need them uh. i know so that is the tale of michael swango aka dr death how do you feel not great courtney no no <laughs> not great no, no, I don't. Ex- yeah, it's I. I had never. I think I started reading something on him, and I was like, he is fascinating. Um, he kind of, like his picture. Wait, I should share a picture with you. 
Because he kind of looks, at least to me. Well, it's probably just. Like, like, um, sorry. Go ahead. No, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I was just thinking he probably just looks like a recently attractive white guy, and that's why he kept falling upwards. No, not he. I don't think All he right, does. Send it in the. Send it in the sky. Yeah, I'm gonna save it real quick. He does not look yeah, like our is. fabulous archaeologist friend from the last episode. The pipe. No, that guy's that guy's more attractive. Oh no, is he more attractive than the literal mummy above the guy smoking the pipe from last episode in our chat window? Um, first of all, I think that mummy is very attractive actually very beautiful though, i think yes i agree and they did a great job i personally so this guy i don't oh, know oh gosh it's he reminds me it, look he looks like a serial Stevie killer Cooper. yes he does look like he has the db cooper, cooper vibes he has the the slight like smirk and the um the giant like I'm a secretary in the 80s, and these are my glasses. Glasses. Yeah, he just, yeah. I don't know. There's something about him I just don't like. Um, Maxwell, do you want to tell everyone where they can find your wonderful, wonderful content and podcasts and things? Well, first of all, I want to say we never found out if iced tea is a thing in Australia. Yeah, oh, we didn't. So I guess that's the unsolved mystery that you'll just have to so the mystery iced tea is a thing in australia yes it is mystery solved as you can find unsolved mysteries related to lost treasure look up relic the lost treasure podcast on itunes or spotify or what have you that is my podcast and i'm also on twitter um saying stupid things at lost treasure pod it's great thank you so We'll see you guys next week with a new guest. Yes. It'll be exciting. Probably not me. Yay. Yeah. Bye. Bye. The Mona Lisa, the Hope Diamond, the sarcophagus of King to Uncommon. Humanity has accumulated hundreds upon hundreds of priceless artifacts and treasures, each one the physical embodiment of a certain time and place. But for all of humankind's greatest achievements, we also kind of suck. For every priceless painting on display in the Louvre, there is another masterpiece stolen and bartered off in an underground auction, or even collecting dust in your grandmother's attic. Each week, Relic, the Lost Treasure podcast, explores the strange, but mostly true, tales behind history's greatest lost treasures. If you like unsolved mysteries and true crime, with maybe a little less murder, but certainly a few weird deaths, then you should come along on the journey. Join me, Maxwell, as I dig beneath the couch cushions of history. You can find Relic on iTunes or stream us at relic.blueberry.net. That's blueberry without the E's. Adventure awaits. Welcome to ShambleFest. I'm Jess. I'm Amber. And we are your one-stop weekly shop for news shambles. We're a weekly WTF and current events comedy podcast. We drop episodes every Monday morning. Tune in. Shamble on. Cults of Domesticity. We're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at Domestic Podcasts, and our Instagram is at The Cult of Domesticity. We also have podcast merch at Threadless.
Uh, as well, if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcasts at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free. Thank you.